All right. Uh, this is Mysterious Circumstances, and uh, this is a pretty pretty cool episode I got going on here. Uh, pretty much what this is, this has been probably about, we've been trying to arrange this for a while now, but this is kind of a, I don't know. I'm basically going to, I get to pick a cop's brain and we get to talk about all kinds of stuff and we're going to keep him anonymous and I'm going to refer to him as Mr. X. And I actually posted in my Facebook group, if anybody had any random questions for, for a cop or a, you know, officer of the law, then you know, submit them. So we got a few questions from there, but I don't know. I've always, I've always been curious about, uh, you know, that lifestyle and everything like that. And just a lot of, a lot of random questions. So I guess I will like to thank my guest for joining me. Thank you. I appreciate it a lot, man. Uh, thank you, Justin. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem, man. So, so what you drinking on today? Um, today we've got just uh, traditional Jack and Coke. Nice, nice. It's not my favorite, but it's uh it's a classic, so you can't go wrong. Yeah, you're you're pretty much right there. I'm I'm on some whiskey too. I had a listener send me some stuff from uh Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania from a Silverback Distillery. That's pretty good stuff, man. It's honey rye whiskey. I've never really had honey rye whiskey before, but good for God's sakes, man. It's smooth. Sounds interesting. Yeah, it's it's all right. It's pretty extra. Not gonna lie to you, I'm kind of a simple guy, man. But you know, it is what it is. I suppose. Obviously, my first question has to be: You're obviously pretty. I mean, you are our friends on Facebook, and um, congratulations, by the way, on your uh, what you're doing now. Um, I seen you. You graduated and everything, and congratulations yeah, on that. You. You're welcome. So how did you get into law enforcement? Was it a family thing? Is this something you always wanted to do when you were a kid? Were you a troublemaker when you were a kid? How did that all how did that all work out? So quick little background to to kind of help answer this question. I had a, a lot of family members that were in the military. Right after I graduated high school, went into the Marine Corps because I wanted to be first in the family to be in the Marine Corps. And then did my time there. Obama administration and budget cuts, that kind of stuff. I ended up getting out. I bounced around for a while, and I kind of, I kind of did some volunteer time with a, a fire department, helping them do maintenance on their trucks and stuff. Because I had done diesel maintenance and and stuff in the Marine Corps, so I uh, just felt that calling to come back to it. I ended up in Nevada in 2013, and. After some time, I was like, I, you know, it's time to go. I can't stay here. I jumped on Nevada's employee website, and I started looking. And I, I ended up doing state corrections first. And that sent me to Ely, to the maximum security prison. After, after a few months there, they transferred me to an honor camp where, you know, it was me and, like, one other guard for 12 hours, and we... We did a lot of hands-on with the inmates interacting. It was okay. It just wasn't satisfying that that kind of calling feeling, you know, where you're being pulled into something. Like, I wanted to know more, and I wanted to pick these guys' brains about why did you do this crime and oh, how'd you get caught, that kind of stuff, you know. From being in there with them every day, I was like, I, I, I want to know more from your side of things, you know, and then – the opportunity came for me to transfer to another agency. 
I went to work in the jail doing the same type of correctional stuff, um, but for a different agency. And then opportunity came up in December of 17 to go full-time on the road instead of in the jail. So I took it and uh, it's been awesome. I mean, I love it. I get to be outside 95% of the time. I get to interact with the public, both good and bad sometimes, depending on who you talk to. It's just, it's, it's great because as of, you know, right now where I'm at, I'm with a really, I'm with a decent agency and I'm in a really nice spot and it's very, very rural, very laid back, a lot of ranchers. You know, we do have a high crime rate because we have two intersecting highways in the area. So we get a lot of passer throughs, but I mean, I just, I don't know. I forever didn't think it was something I wanted to do. And then I think what really got me started was when I came to Nevada in 2013, I did a ride along with a friend of the family who was a cop. And when I did that, I mean, we did, we did a lot of stuff that day for a ride along. I was like, this is pretty crazy. You know, you just, you kind of get like, you get that taste and you, you want more because you want to know that drive, that ambition, you kind of that addiction, you know, and it starts pulling you in and, I, I could give you the same old speech, you know, I wanted to serve my community. I wanted to, to be a protector. And it's so much more than that, though, man. It just, once you see the other side of the badge, it really starts to show you a light and a perspective. That's kind of what I'm hoping to portray on this podcast. You know, you bringing me on, get to pick my brain, but also showing people that, we're human, you know, we got yeah. families, we got dogs, we got bills, just like everybody else. And that's something that I take with me every day. I want to go out there and I talk to the six time convicted felon the same way I talk to grandma that needs help with her groceries. You know what I mean? Yeah. I yeah. Everybody fair and, and equal. And, and that's part of the reason why I like doing this and being out there so that I can hopefully give that, other side of the image of who we are and what we do. Good. That's kind of what I was wanting to. Obviously, we were um, texting back and forth last night. And, you know, I think it's really important, you know, you, especially in the podcasting true crime community, and I won't even lie, I'm guilty of it too. Like if a cop pulls some, some like ridiculously stupid shit, I'm probably going to say something about it. But at the end of the day, I also give credit where it's due, you know with podcasting and true crime and even social media in general, dude, there's a lot of cop hating out there. And it's, it's like for me personally, and I all bullshit aside, man, I, uh, you know, I was a troublemaker when I was a kid. I hated cops, you know, even up until, you know, my early twenties or whatever. And and then I grew up, (laughs) I basically quit doing stupid shit and grew up and, uh, you know, eventually came to realize, you know, hey, like these people legit leave their families every single day to go protect people that they don't know. And it really upsets me that, you know, one or two bad cops and an entire department can give that whole department a bad name. And unfortunately, that is the reality of the situation sometimes, you know, and it's like people don't do that with with any other demographic of society, really, 
But when it comes to cops, it seems like you guys are all judged in like a blanket type manner. And it really, really makes me mad. I was just reading uh, the other day. I mean, and just now in the first, I think, 13 or 14 days of, of 2019, there's been co- seven cops that have been killed in the line of duty already. You know, and it's it's just like, what in the hell is going on? And I don't know. I just kind of wanted to, you know, like you had said, uh, you know, you guys got families, you're human, you know, you guys drink beer and have cookouts and, and hang out and stuff like that, just like everybody else. And I don't know. I think there's a lot of misconceptions, I guess you could say. And I guess that would be my next question. Like, are there any things that you see like on TV or even on social media that somebody might say something or it might be on a TV show and it's just like a really bad misconception and it, and it literally just makes you roll your eyes every time. Is there anything like that? Uh, yeah, there's, there's a few actually. Um, <laughs> I'd say first, the, the first one that always, always gets me. And, and, and I usually I walk away with a smile because of the response that I get from the people, but it's like, the common misconception, number one, hands down, is everybody thinks cops are assholes. That all cops are assholes. Like, not just, hey, one or two. You know, if, if they don't have a family friend or a relative that is a cop, that, that seems to be the number one general misconception is that all cops, they're assholes. They're egotistical. They're arrogant. They're on that power trip. You know, they're only doing it because they were bullied in high school. So they've they've got that persona and that image, you know, and I make fun of my trooper brothers, but the troopers troopers out here, hands down, those guys got my back anytime things go south, right? But you always see that image like on social media and it's the trooper or the the state police or whatever agency you want to call it, but they've got that smoky bear style hat and the aviator glasses and the creepy mustache. And they've got, <laughs> they, they walk up with the ticket book in their hand and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting a ticket. I know, you know, when I can leave and I'm, and the people tell me, Hey, you know, you're, you're not an asshole. That's kind of nice. That's good. Cause I mean, I set a different image and a different perspective. And then, you know, to go on that, the other common misconception is people think that every time they get pulled over, they're going to get that ticket. Or every time they come to your house, you know, somebody's going to get arrested or go to jail. Or, again, that citation is coming out, you know? Yeah, for sure. That's not always true. Well, good. That's always good to know. Like, it's, and just like you said, man, I mean, it's 50-50, you know, it's, I don't know, people just have this persona you know, they have this image in their head and it's never going to be anything different than that. But, but at the end of the day, you know what, if you're doing 15 over the limit, you better fucking expect to be getting a ticket, man. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't understand people sometimes. <laughs> well, and, and that's, yeah, that's, I mean, there's consequences for actions. And I think that's, that's part of the problem on some of the stuff out there in today's society. People think they're above the consequences. So, well, before we get to some of my questions, I uh, like I said, I did open up the floor to uh, to Facebook, and they are they are the trusted MC Nation, and I love them dearly. And <laughs> I honestly couldn't wait to ask you this one. Uh, the first question is from a a member of the group named Sarah, and she asks, 
on a scale from one to ten, how awesome is your wife? Uh, she's at least a twenty, <laughs> man. One one to ten still hasn't got it. Oh, I love it, man. You know, not to get too personal, but but the home life, you know, um, you know, is 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 she a nervous wreck sometimes? You know, when you when you got to go out, because dude, you never know. You could show up for a domestic violence call and get you know shot at or something like that. Is or is or does she play it pretty calm and and all that good stuff? How does she handle all that? Well, so I'm I'm very very blessed. I have an amazing wife. I mean, she just survived this last four months you know (laughs) me being gone four or five days a week for those four months and then you know I've got six hours of travel time to get home plus I gotta pack all my stuff to go back and forth and you know she was she was super strong she took care of the house took care of the kid the dogs you know I mean it was it was hard but she she handled that well and I I think that you know, with the day-to-day going out, doing what I do, she knows that things could get really crazy, especially here where we live. We've had some really crazy stuff. We can get into detail on that a little bit later. But to stay on, on topic with the question of my wife, she she's amazing. Uh, she came from an EMT medical background, riding on the ambulance, working with the fire truck and the firemen and the police officers. So she is well aware of how extreme things can get. And I think that in the back of her mind that it's it's always there. But, you know, she's it's part of the job. It's part of the risk we take. So, yeah, for sure. You know, if if your son wanted to be a cop, would you would you support that or would you try to tell him, hey, make sure this is something that you really want to do, because it's it's a way of life, not just a job. Yeah, you know, and we, me and the wife, we actually just talked about that the other day. Like, he's 100% boy, man. He's (laughs) out in the dirt and the mud, and he's got his trucks. And if he wants to follow in my footsteps, I'm not going to stop him. Uh, You know, I'm going to set him down, and I'm going to tell him the harsh truth of it. Like, you're going to be hated some days, you know, and you're going to see people at their worst. But you got to be fair. You got to be firm and consistent. You got to have a heart. A lot of people are like, oh, I turned my heart off. I don't need a heart for this job. Well, you kind of do. Another question from the group before we kind of veer away from there for a little bit. Which famous unsolved murder would you love to know who did it and why would it be that particular case? Well, as we talked previously. um, Yeah, yeah. There's a few in this area. And they're not so much famous, like widespread worldwide, but they're they're famous to me because of the area and some of the people I work with. Like those ones, there's there's one in particular, and we can we can touch on that a little more off air. It happened many years ago. There's some really really weird stuff behind it, and still to this day, it is unsolved cold case. You know, and yeah. we're talking over 20 years. And the wow. uh, advances in forensics and all these other things. And this this one here in this area in particular, I would say 40, 45 miles from my front door. And it's still unsolved. So it's like, well, like that one, I would love to know the who, what, where, and why, you know. Yeah, for sure. 
All right. Uh, next one would be this one is actually one of mine, but somebody actually asked it on Instagram a second ago as well. What is something that emotionally, you know, a call that you made or something that you've seen that has really just stuck with you, man, that you haven't been able to shake? Um, uh, there's, there's a couple of, uh, cases I I've turned over to detectives, um, right when I first got on the road, you know, they're just, they're gruesome and it, like it sticks with you. You try to forget about the details and, you know, once you hear it, you're just like, ah, you can't let that go. There were some child sexual assault case stuff and, uh, I had my FTO, my field training officer, you know, she was with me at the time. So I wasn't alone, but, you know, I, I get sent to this person's house to take this report and the mom's telling me what happened to her son. And then with a little further investigating before we turned it over to detectives, you know, we found out that it was a relative, you know, another male in the family. And some of the things that were done were just, you know, extremely, extremely gruesome, you know, especially for this, eight-year-old boy to suffer through and this uh, you know 20-something year old kid to do to his eight-year-old cousin like that's just it's it's crazy it's terrible you know it makes you want to take the kid outside and just put him in a in a shallow grave in the middle of the desert somewhere yeah you know yeah oh yeah you gotta you gotta do things by the book so how do cops sometimes get away with not reading rights to juveniles and or questioning them without parents present? Um, so to answer that question, based on Nevada law, there's two stipulations for it to be considered an interrogation or questioning that requires Miranda rights. In Nevada, we only have to read someone their Miranda rights per state law if they are in custody and we're going to interrogate them about the crime. So for us to go and interview a child, it's always safer to err on the side of caution and and read the juvenile Miranda rights. And the only difference between juvenile and adult Miranda rights really is one question. And it's, do you wish your parents to be present or not? And it's up to the child um, if they want their parents present or not. If they're comfortable talking to us without the parents, then we can talk to them. It does anger some parents out there that we choose to talk to the child separate, but sometimes the children are afraid to tell mom and dad certain details because they're afraid of getting in trouble at home or they're ashamed of what happened to them and they they don't really want their parents to know the whole truth because they don't want to be looked at differently. I think Nevada legislature has done a great job of protecting those rights for us as officers and for the juveniles that are being questioned. So it's, you know, we we give them the option if they want their parents to be present. And and I've had a couple kids tell me no. No, because they can't talk to me like they can if mom and dad are there because it's it's awkward for them. And I get it, you know, I, I never wanted to talk to people that I wanted to tell stuff to in front of my parents because I was like, uh, this is weird. I don't want to tell this 
this guy what I know about something because my dad's sitting here hovering over my shoulder, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. That's totally understandable. That And that was actually a great answer, man. I appreciate you not, not buttering it up because I think there's a lot of things that the public doesn't understand about that. And they just naturally assume that it's automatically cops going above and beyond the law, you know, and again, it goes with, yeah. with misconceptions. People, people watch, uh, you know, law and order SUV or SUV SVU. And, and they, and they think they're fucking detectives, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's like, that's illegal. Yeah. You can't do that. And it's like, first of all, you don't know shit. Okay. You know, yeah, and to and to touch on that subject, um, the person that asked that question, the best thing for her is to go and look at state legislature laws regarding juveniles, because that'll like everything's public knowledge for for us that we're yeah. supposed to do, how we're supposed to perform certain certain duties. There's a lot of like in Nevada, they're called NRSs. It's the Nevada Revised Statute, and it tells the how, the what, the when, and the where of how we are to perform our duties. And there's regulations for us to abide by, and then there's regulations that the public's required to abide by. And that's where we determine, like you, Justin, if you're driving down the interstate at 90 miles an hour and the speed limit 75. In the state of Nevada, if I see you doing that, I can take you to jail on that misdemeanor crime because it was mm-hmm. committed in my presence. So it all revolves back onto what legislature says you can and can't do. And I don't know all the state's laws. I just... It does vary by state, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah like um, sure. the state of Texas, right? I grew up in Texas, and I consider myself to be a transplant in Nevada, but this is what we're calling home. So in Texas, traffic <laughs> is traffic. In Nevada, traffic is a misdemeanor. We don't actually have traffic. I mean, we have traffic cops that do specifically traffic enforcement. Nevada Highway Patrol troopers do a lot of traffic enforcement on the interstate, but they also do other things, you know, so they're not limited to just that scope. But like when we write you a traffic ticket, it's actually a misdemeanor crime in Nevada. It's it's not just traffic. Huh, and that's really interesting. That's, that's a that's one of those common misconceptions from people from out of state <laughs> when they come here and they're like well they're like, well I I'm not going to take care of that. Well, it's, it, you need to take care of it because in Nevada, this is a misdemeanor crime. This is not <laughs> just a regular traffic citation like whatever state you may be from. It usually changes the tone of things, too, when they realize that they can go to jail for speeding. Then they're like, oh, well, I'm sorry. I'll slow down. I'll find <laughs> a ticket book. Exactly. And, you know, I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> totally understandable so, i bet you i bet you that does help out quite a bit though sometimes it's it's handy leverage to have i'll, I'll say that another question from Teresa. again she asked the last couple are you changing the way you are being trained or are they changing the way you are being trained besides or along with teaching how to shoot to kill and are you now being taught shoot to wound because a lot of the uh obviously that would be because a lot of the negative publicity that is on police officers so i i can answer this question with a short and simple things are changing as time has progressed i i cannot say no you know that the shoot to kill shoot to wound thing 
that's not what you know we were taught period here in Nevada and uh, I've been doing this since 2015 and mm -hmm. everywhere I've been including Department of Corrections it's you shoot to stop the threat so if you shoot once and you wound the person and the threat stops then you stop our use of force is on a sliding scale some people like to say it used to be a hard check mark you had to go through the steps but they're finding that that progression doesn't always work anymore so sometimes you need to be able to circumvent jump ahead and then dial it back down as things calm down I will tell you that in a high-stress situation both from being in the military and serving in law enforcement in a high-stress situation you're not necessarily gonna put good rounds exactly. on target exactly um, so you may only wound them but you get the same result we train we train efficiently I train in less than lethal options I train in a little bit of hand-to-hand -hand ground tactic stuff just so I have other tools in my toolbox I don't want to have to go to the kid on the bicycle that beat up the neighbor and jacked the bicycle and the only option I have is to pull a gun on a 12 year old yeah. kid just because he's bullying the neighbor without those other skills a lot of officers are resorting right to lethal force so that's something that is is definitely being addressed nationwide I, you know, I've seen a lot of press conferences and articles from like Police One and uh, some of the other supporting people in the social networks, you know, that are just they're throwing out options and departments are, are biting on them and saying, hey, you know what, this, this is a viable tool we can put in our toolboxes, you know, instead of 100 hours of firearms practice and training let's do mm -hmm. 50 hours of firearms and 50 hours of you know hand-to-hand -hand tactics yeah for so sure there's there's definitely a big swing to answer her question a little more specifically like i said we we don't do the shoot to wound or shoot to kill thing it's it shoots to stop the threat I, I don't think that's what people can grasp the concept of especially ones i hate to say this but in foreign countries that don't have gun rights like we do, I don't think people understand that when you literally have half a second to make a decision, that half second could mean your life or somebody else's life and like the uncertainty, you know, like if somebody's got their hand behind their back, like they would be pulling a gun or something. I don't think people realize that that split second you know, you're not lining up wound shots, you know, you don't know what's coming. You don't know what's happening. And at a certain point in time, it's like either this guy has the potential to kill me if I don't do something right now. And I don't know. I think people forget that. I really, I really do. When, when it's a high stress situation like that and you have a split second, I don't see how people have some of the reasoning that they do. Well, I would have shot him you know, in the, in the arm, it's like, I'm going to give you one second to pull your gun and point at this guy's shoulder and see, I'll give you three rounds and see what exactly you can hit and what you don't. You know what I mean? I guess that's just me. Obviously I'm not a cop, you know, but I don't know. That's, that's kind of the way I see it. You know, 
and, and so that's that's something um, I've seen, and I don't remember the agency or the state, but you know the press was just brutalizing this officer-involved shooting, right? I mean, they're just they're making it look like oh, this yeah. cop was just Rambo in the street, and so they did a controlled simulation. They brought these press in, they set them up in the exact same scenario. And they gave them simulation guns, which shoot like either like a paint marker or just a blank or, you know, you've got the fancy ones with lasers that they have the video game screen and you go into the scenario and you use the laser gun to shoot the video screen and it, it gives you feedback. So they, they ran these people from the press through this simulation, the exact same scenario the officer was in. And every single one of the press people shot the person regardless of what he pulled out of his pocket like the the bad guy you know yeah yeah for sure and when they went back and they reviewed it with all these people they're like well i i didn't know i panicked and it's like yeah and you're judging us and what we do and we're giving you a controlled environment you know you're not going to get hurt and yet every single one of them shot the bad guy whether it was a banana or a cell phone or a gun that he pulled out of his pocket, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So it, it, it brought a lot of light to the things that we do and the split decision making factor of I'm in an oh shit situation. Do I shoot or not? You know, and man, we can, we can get into that because I believe that was one of the, one of the questions you wanted to talk about was one of my scariest, uh, scariest things today. Yeah, let's turn this, so, turn the gear and let's hear it. So I had just completed my FTO um, after, you know, four months and I get issued my vehicle and all my stuff and here you go. This is your assignment. You're going to go out here and my backup officers are 50 miles away. So it's literally just me in my little one horse town. And then I've got... I've got the guy that works the opposite 12 hours of me and he's at home on control standby. So if I need another officer, they can call him out and he can come assist me. And then it's a couple troopers that are in the area, you know? So from my agency, it's just me out here. But like I said, there's, I've always got a couple troopers to help me, you know, that are close by. Mm-hmm. So um, an attempt to locate comes out from Utah that this armed robbery was just committed. You know, we're looking for two Hispanic males and a third unidentified subject and, you know, this very particular sports car in a firing in red color, right? So one, you've got a very odd car that's not common in the area. And then you've got a very descriptive about the two Hispanic male subjects in the car, you know? like clothing, facial tattoos, like the whole nine yards. The, the, the details were phenomenal. So I'm sitting over here by an interstate exit watching traffic come through the area because they were headed our direction from Utah. And then I see this red sports car and the license plate matches the information we were given. So I'm like, okay. So I call the trooper on his cell phone and I'm like, hey, buddy. I need you to come over here. I'm pretty sure I located that car. So the trooper makes a circle around the area, 
Um, the car pulled into the gas station and I was just sitting watching, you know, it was just me. I didn't want to approach by myself or do anything like that. And then trooper comes around. He's like, yeah, that looks like it, you know? So we initiate a felony stop in the parking lot there. Um, and for your listeners that don't know, a felony stop is a lot different than a regular traffic stop. This is where you see the cops come out of the car with guns drawn, commands are being yelled and shouted at the occupants of the vehicle to show hands, shut off the vehicle, get out of the car with your hands in the air. We make them do these little circles with their shirts pulled up so we can see their waistline. You know, we bring them back one at a time, we get everybody detained, and then we sort the whole situation out. Uh-huh. So we get the driver out. She's cooperative. We get the passenger side front seat occupant out. He's a little mouthy, being passive aggressive, but he's compliant. You know, following our commands, doing what we're telling him to do. We get him all cuffed up. Last of the suspect gets out of the car, and the first thing he does is step out with both middle fingers in the air, and he's yelling at us. You know, fuck you guys. I'm not going back to jail. You don't fucking know me. And the whole time we're yelling commands back. We're trying to de-escalate. And then he starts doing burpees and push-ups and jumping jacks and just things are getting out of control. They're escalating quickly, right? And so during this time, I've literally been on my own for two days. I, Mm -hmm. I haven't encountered anything like this yet. I mean, we did training scenarios. You know, I had really good FTO and some other people from the department that worked with me. I mean, we we ran through every possible scenario you could think of to prepare for something like this. And yet I was shaking. My adrenaline was going 100 miles an hour. My boot was literally shaking to the point where it sounded like I was tap dancing on the concrete because the heel of my boot kept hitting so hard. Oh yeah. You know, and I like I tried to rein it in, I tried to focus my breathing like we've been taught. All of these things, I'm gun drawn and I'm pointing at this dude. And then he jumps up, he shoves both hands down in his pants, and he comes out with his hands in that little two finger gun shape with the thumb up like, you know, old school revolver, like the hammer's cocked back. He pulls mm-hmm. them out and he points them right at me. And then I realized that's not a gun. Those are hands. So I started yelling hands at the trooper. And he's like, I see it. And he starts yelling back at the guy. Put your hands in the air. Turn around face away from us. I'm over there like, oh, my God. I almost shot this guy because he pulled hands out of his pants. And we're talking lightning fast. Like, he shoved them in, and he whipped them out like six-gun shootout at the OK Corral style. I mean, just... And I literally had to release the trigger, which was, you know, a, we'll say a thread away from releasing the sear pin and putting a round down range on this person. And that split second decision making factor, looking yeah. back at it now, yeah. if I hadn't tried to dissect it or if I had anticipated he's pulling a gun out. I would have shot him. And I'm not saying that I would have put a fatal round in him because my adrenaline was so far through the roof. I don't think I had a clean line of sight 
down the barrel. But I remember having to take my finger off the trigger and just take a deep breath and back down for a second because I was like, holy crap, I almost shot this guy. And all he had in his hands were hands. Yeah. You know? but ex- And that's the thing. Like, you didn't know that, you know? <laughs> no. You know, I the only thing I can relate that to, uh, for the people that aren't uh, religious, hey, sorry, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I still, man, that was that was God saving grace right there. I mean, two days out on my own, literally just starting on the road, and that would have set me back, you know, however many months plus, you know, all the civil lawsuits that could have came. Um, investigations and, and yeah. oh yeah yeah it, it would have been a headache and man just craziness that is pretty so. damn crazy actually <laughs> it's i hate being the asshole of the group but you know if you don't do dumb shit there's a good chance you ain't gonna get shot you know here's another here's another good one for you uh when you investigate a death or uh you know show up on the scene of a death uh, why does it always seem like cops decide suicide before ruling out homicide? Is there a certain protocol that you guys use for unattended deaths or anything like that? You know, that's, that's kind of a, a difficult question to, to give a good answer for, but I'll give you uh, my perspective and kind of how we do things with our agency. Mm-hmm. And maybe that'll that'll answer their question a little bit. Um, yeah, for sure. Right off the bat, it's gonna it's gonna sound like I'm I'm dodging it, but here at our agency, we we treat every death as a homicide until we figure out otherwise. And that's usually um, protocol, though, isn't it? I mean, I, I would say that's pretty standard across. Okay, the that's what I thought. Everything's treated as a homicide until there's evidence to prove otherwise. <clears throat> you know, but I've been to some some situations. We call them 1092s, dead body calls. On our 1092s, there's been some apparent, we walk in the door and, okay, this person committed suicide, whether it be by strangulation or gunshot or whatever. You know, it's it's obvious. Like, you look around, you look at the evidence that's present, and you're like, yeah, this is definitely a suicide. This was not staged. Like, there's too many factors. But then we've I've had the other ones where you walk in and you're like, okay, there's no need to investigate this because this guy has umpteen million medications in the cabinet for heart disease and high blood pressure, and he smokes six packs of cigarettes a day and drinks like a fish. <laughs> so you're like, life was not good to him at the end, and it and it got him. So you you're like, okay, this investigation's closed. He died of natural causes even though it's kind of self-inflicted to a mm-hmm. certain degree you know what i mean yeah definitely but those ones that are questionable like we had one that was very weird so it was treated as a homicide until there was enough evidence to show that okay didn't look right but this guy definitely offed himself in a very weird manner and you know the detectives ended up taking over mm-hmm. and and finishing that investigation but after after a few months i mean it wasn't a short time it was it was a few months it was decided that okay this guy definitely committed suicide he just they made it look like he he made it look like a home invasion gone bad but then you're like 
how did the gun end up right here? You know, and then later as evidence comes in and ballistics matching comes back and from what I yeah. from what I understand, he committed suicide. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, next question is, uh, how do you feel about the Blue Lives Matter movement, and how do we fix the total disrespect some people have toward the position of authority? Taking an oath to serve and protect, loving your job, and then being called to help someone that you just want to walk away from. So, basically, you know, what's your thoughts on the Blue Lives Matter movement, and how do you think that, you know, we can we can try to fix you know, some people's perspective on, you know, the, the disrespect for cops that we have nowadays. Well, for starters, and this is going to sound very, very brash. So I'll just, I'll just clarify. I am a Christian. I do smoke. I do drink. I do cuss a little bit. You know, it it happens when you're living a, a worldly life like I did for a while, you know, and then, yeah. I came back to the church and all that good stuff. So first, a uh, little bit of uh, biblical implementation into parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, start spanking your kids at a reasonable age, not excessively. You know, of course, you don't, you don't want to be yeah, a child abuser. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. When a kid deserves a spanking, give your kid a spanking. You know, don't, don't, exactly. don't be ashamed of what the public's going to look at you like. Because what you're doing is you're implementing discipline and order and respect at a young age and then your kid doesn't turn out to be a wild heathen breaking the law i mean even me (laughs) like i I got spanked when i was a kid my mom was infamous hey go pick your own switch i'm gonna go pick one right (laughs) yeah and i still went out and did stuff i shouldn't have done as a minor child you know yeah but i never I never gotten to that point where I ended up going to jail. I mean, I did. My mom did take me down there one time, and the deputy was like the whole scared straight style, take me in the back and show me all these hoodlums, you know, that couldn't obey the law. So that, that I mean, that was an eye-opener in itself, too. But So definitely um, the respect thing starts at home, you know, and I, I hear Agreed. some people on some of these cases and things I've been to, they're like, well, my kid's my best friend. Well, Obviously, you're not best friends. You're their parent. You want to be their friend. Great. That's awesome. But your kids graffitiing the school building, and you're like, well, I just let them kind of do whatever they want, you know, trying to be their friend. Well, there's a fine line there between being a friend and being a parent. Agreed. You know, and that. Yeah. So um, the other thing is, like, the media needs to stop demoralizing us. You know, I I know the whole Blue Lives Matter movement came around shortly after the Black Lives Matter. And you know what? We're all humans. We all matter. Um, It doesn't matter sexual preference, race, nationality. It doesn't matter. You know, humans are human beings. I mean, if you look at like what, you know, Hitler did with Germany and that created that huge divide in the country. And that's exactly. the road we're going down right now. Yes, it, yes, it is. And people are, unfortunately, I, I'll go ahead and say it. And people are too fucking stupid to realize it. You know what I mean? And it's like, how can you be just yeah. literally so, such a spoon-fed sheep that 
you don't see like what's going on. Cause dude, in, in all honesty, that's my exact opinion on pretty much. We're all people of the, we're all humans here. Like, I don't care who you fuck. I don't, you know, I don't care what color you are. If you're an asshole, you're an asshole, you know, but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, man, we're all fighting for the same thing and that's to live life, you know, and be happy. And it's like, like I said, man, you know, bad news gets more ratings and it sells more papers. And, and that's what people love to people love to hate nowadays. And it's really aggravating as shit, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the blue eyes matter thing is awesome. I, you know, in the right context, believe that the black lives matter is awesome too. Like they're, they're bringing up things that need to be addressed. Agreed. You know, Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. It still exists. And it's like, what? it still exists. I mean, you've got your bad apples everywhere. Every, yep. every job, every profession, every community, you've got bad apples. And I think these movements, they brought a lot of light to the world. Some things have been done out of context or in hate. Personally, uh, the Blue Lives Matter is important to me because, you know, I, I am blue by trade. For so sure. It is important to me. And yeah. I'm not saying that the Black Lives Matter people are doing anything wrong. But yeah. some of their stuff has gotten out of control. Uh, yeah, they have. Been, some of it has taken a little very, bit of a violent yeah, you know, and very little violent approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very, very anti-cop, very anti-authority. And then you look at some of the people that have been leading some of these groups, and it's like, well, no wonder you're on the trek you're on because you know you're a troublemaker, and you life would be better for you to sling dope or be a pimp if you didn't have cops around. So of course, for you, this is like, hey, I'm gonna. I'm going to get on this and I'm going to write yeah. it. Anarchy, man. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, uh, the blue life thing is great. Um, there's also another kind of movement out there. It's uh, the hashtag humanizing the badge. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. And I, I've, I've looked at their organization and some of the nonprofit stuff that they do. And it's just, it's great to see people pulling together in support of us. Yeah. Um, one of one of the other things um, for her question about the respect stuff, you know, we start at home with the kids. Uh, the Blue Lives Matter stuff is great. There was another part of that question, you know, I don't know if I, I got. Oh, you you pretty much covered it all. Yeah. Um, here's actually a really really cool question. Uh, it's from Adrian in the in the Facebook group. She asks. Um, and I'm not sure how knowledgeable you would be on this because this would be for like a 70-year-old cop probably. But how how did officers in the 60s and so on, uh, eras like that, determine Jane and John Doe's ages? I've read several cases recently where the Doe's had their ages quite misidentified, and I wondered how that would be, whether body is fresh or decomposed also, and uh, how they handle it today. I think, um, from my understanding, you know, forensics were not what they are today back then, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think, I think a lot of it was tracking those, those medical records for any kind of bone surgeries or, you know, certain abnormalities in teeth and stuff like that, which back to my 
Unsolved, right? Yeah, yeah. Most famous, <laughs> most famous for my area. Um, back to that, there was a lot of decomp- decomposition already, so they weren't able to necessarily get a facial reconstruction. The time period, a little bit different, but the technology was still out of date. I mean, it just it didn't work from what I understand. And now today they can do a scan of a skull and they can do some beta testing or, or isotope testing or something like that, you know, and they can determine where that person's from. Yeah. Uh, what, what ethnicity they were. And then they can kind of create a facial profile based on the skull, you know, what the tissues would have looked like built up based on all that stuff that they can get just from the bones now. Yeah, it's so, pretty amazing. Um, the decomposition part, it, it happens at a certain time, and there's factors that can speed that up or delay that, and that is heat and cold and introduction of bacterias and things that would eat the flesh and cause decomposition to go faster. Of course, bugs and animals. Out here, we have lots of coyotes. Oh yeah. So coyotes will coyotes will make quick work of anything left around. For sure. Um, next question is from Robert. This is a pretty. This is a really good question. I think. Um, what's the toughest conflict to reconcile between your training and your belief system? Oh man, ah, man, that's that is a tough one. I mean, just thinking about the things that I've done in the last year. Being on the road, uh, well, you know, uh, being a Christian, believing in biblical justice. If a child is raped or molested, it's up to the father of that child to decide the punishment. And Mm -hmm. the Bible states that it shall be swift and it shall be severe, Mm -hmm. meaning like some kind of torture and death. You know, and people can take the Bible in whatever context they want. I'm not here to tell anybody how they should believe it, just based on what I read, what I believe, what I've studied and researched. You know, the father of a child that's been molested gets to decide what the punishment is. And in today's society, I don't get to make that choice. I make the arrest. I take them. They go stand before the judge. The judge decides what they get to do. Yeah. You know, and honestly, I don't think that these pedophiles and sex offenders should be living on federal taxes and three hots and a cot in some brick building somewhere under supervision. Yep. Because, I mean, like here in, here in Nevada, we separate them from general public and as far as the criminals go because other criminals, which is crazy to say, but when you're in prison, if you raped a child and your cellmate finds out about it and doesn't do something about it something's going to happen to him they're quicker to act on like biblical justice than our own court systems are you know and then which is crazy to think but in all honesty man like i'm right i'm right there like i you know i was raised really really strict christian and uh you know i've swayed since which is my own thing and i'm cool with whatever anybody believes in you know that's whatever makes somebody a better person is is totally fine with me but if you know something, I have two boys. If something happened to one of them like that, I would, I would gladly spend the rest of my life in prison. 
because I would fucking kill somebody. I hate saying that, but that's the reality of the situation. And, but you should be. As the father of that child, that is your duty and obligation to protect them from that. Right? Yeah. And if it yeah. happens and you you can't stop everything, things are going to happen. You know, I'm, I'm not wishing anything bad on your children by no means. No, for sure. Are. But you know yeah. what I mean? You can't be mm-hmm. everywhere 24 7. No, so, you can't. You know, and, and in these situations where Creeper goes by the school and snatches you know some five-year-old girl and takes her out to the desert and does god knows what with her and then dumps her body when they find out who that person is and it can be confirmed by three or four witnesses there should be no reason we house and feed them they should be put to death and i firmly believe in the death penalty you know and i like i i've I've listened to some other podcasts with Jim Fitzgerald and Jim Clemente. Oh, for know, sure, and, yeah. Uh, uh, Nancy Grace, you know, yeah. oh, and they, yeah. they argue they argue about the death penalty a lot, and I'm just like, I don't see how you can't be a proponent about it when you've been in the FBI, you know, and especially in the line that that Jim was in with the child sex investigations and things like that, and he's not a proponent of the death penalty. So, I mean, hey, I'm not here to judge the man. He's done great things for our law system. And for sure. some of the stuff that he's done to implement these other things to combat the child sex trafficking and stuff, me being a biblical believer, death penalty. You know? Yeah. And the father should get to choose. Does he die by stones? Or does he die by hanging? Or, you know... Yeah, my 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 execution would be very slow and painful, Mister X. <laughs> I can tell you that right now, dude. Very slow and painful. But I mean, that's I do. I'm all about the death penalty. Um, you know, under certain circumstances, if it can be confirmed 100 percent by DNA or confession and eyewitnesses, yeah. Because I've seen cases where inmates literally ask for the death penalty. I've seen it where they ask for that shit and the judge or whoever, you know, ends up working out a plea deal. It's like, now you're getting life. And then the guy ends up, you know, killing himself six months in or whatever, but it's just like, you know, obliged the man, you know, (laughs) to to touch on that. Like we just had that happen here in Nevada. Um, One of our inmates in Ely at on death row been sentenced to the death chamber has been petitioning the state courts to bring forth his execution. And because of some political crap, you know, they've postponed and postponed and postponed. Well, he, he finally said the hell that I'm done and took his own life, mm-hmm. you know? And I honestly, I mean, I, I think that was kind of the cowardice way to not sit and wait until you got put to death, but at the same time, the state was beating around the bush about it for so long. He's like, I, I, I'm done. It makes I'm sense, not. you know. He's got to answer to his maker or God or whatever, so I, it ain't my place to say. But I, mm-hmm. like I said, I think it was kind of a chicken shit way to go. Really? Yeah. Anxiety builds up. You're like, ah, it's a matter of time. I've asked for it. Like, let's do this. I've already been sentenced to death. And then courts keep saying no because of the political agendas of certain things yeah for sure 
Um, all right. Next, uh, next question is <laughs> this one could be funny. It could be bad. Have you ever rolled up on a, on a vehicle under very odd circumstances and just seen some, some crazy shit? Just like, you know, randomly parked car and you're kind of walking up windows might, you know, maybe a couple teenagers banging one out or like somebody cooking <laughs> meth in the backseat, you know, <laughs> have you ever had an experience like that before? Not, not quite uh, along those lines, but I, I def- definitely had a weird one. We had a, we had a crazy guy at the, one of the local gas stations camped out in the back of the truck parking. And uh, he was, I mean, he was definitely whacked out of his mind. And when I when I rolled up to go check it out, because somebody called it in, so I go over there, check it out, and get out of the truck. I'm like, hey, how you doing? And he's laying there in nothing but shorts on the hot pavement in the middle of the summertime. And like, what I, all I could really see was his feet at first, because he was like, he had his head underneath his car right behind the tire. I mean it looked like this guy was homeless living out of his car, you know, but he had been pooping in a bucket right next to his car in the parking lot <laughs> of the truck stop. And I'm like, uh, buddy, you need to, you need to pack your things and get on the road. You know, <laughs> but I mean, oh, I ended up taking him to jail later that night. But the first thing he said to me was, he's like, well, did God call you? Uh, no, God didn't call me. Flying, the flying J truck stop, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great, dude. Oh man, um, here's a here's a little two part question. It says, uh, "What do you hate having to arrest people for?" And what is the best thing I can say to get out of a ticket? And that's from Monica. <laughs> All right. So the best thing that you can say to get out of the ticket, we'll answer that one first. Okay. Uh, <laughs> We'll start with when the officer comes up and says, do you know why I pulled you over? Do not reply with a smart ass answer. I mean, if you, <laughs> if you really don't know, if you really don't know, you don't know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, you could have a headlight out or something and you didn't realize it, or, you know, you forgot to put your sticker on your license plate. So they think it's expired and they pull you over to check everything, make sure it's all good to go. You know, those things happen, and, and sometimes people really, they're like, no, I don't know. I, they're like, well, I renewed my registration. Yeah, well, you forgot to put the sticker on. Oh, shit, you know. It's like, okay, you know, fix yeah, it yeah. and have a good day. Um, but definitely, like, if they, if you're speeding, you know you're speeding, and the cop walks up and says, hey, do you know why I pulled you over? And you're like, no, officer, <laughs> I don't. Like, don't do that. that don't do that because that uh, that that's like – those memes you see where the, the red eyes and the flames shoot out of people's head and it says triggered, you know, like yeah. that's what it does to us because we know, you know, like, we know, you know, you know, especially, especially on a two lane highway and you're the only car around and then you pass us and we turn around and you know, and you're, you're on, speed, and you're on constant you know. cruise control, like 15 or 20 miles over. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's sad to say we get a lot of those out here and, uh, I highly advise people in Northern Nevada not to speed because we have elk and deer and antelope and freaking cows because Nevada's an open range state. So you're required to fence them out 
the ranchers don't have to fence them in. So, you know, I'm like people say, you, you want to do five, six over. Okay. That's not a huge deal. But when you're doing 20 over at night on these two lane freaking highways in the middle of nowhere, you hit that elk at 90 miles an hour and you're as good as mush in a body bag. Like yeah. it's going to shred your car. So, you know, just, just be honest. Be like, yeah, I was, you know, I was speeding and I'm sorry. I, you know, don't give some BS excuse. Just own it. Hey, I, I'm sorry, officer. You know, I, I'll slow down. Just cruising, trying to get where I'm going, whatever. But yeah, you know, don't don't feed them this BS. The hawk, oh, I, I gotta poop or I gotta get to the hospital. My friend's having a baby. I mean, <laughs> we're not stupid. We're gonna call people. You know, especially if you say <laughs> going to the hospital. Yeah, for sure. So just just be honest. Um, Usually being honest and being polite, it, even if the cop's having a bad day and being an asshole, just, you know, hey, I'm sorry, officer, yes, sir, no, ma'am, whatever the case may be, that little bit of I'm going to bite my tongue and be kind, even though I think it's stupid that I'm getting pulled over for doing six over, you know? Yeah, for sure. Like, usually that goes a long way. So, you know, that that's a good starter. Um, What was the other part of that question? It was... uh. What is the thing that you hate having to arrest people for? Oh, man. For me personally, here here's my thing. But 10 years ago, I was in jail with a guy, this old guy named Buzz. And uh, he had literally had uh, double-digit public intoxes. And <laughs> he, he, got, uh, he got six months in jail because when he was in court, he told the judge... He's like, I wasn't going to drive because I was that drunk. And he said, uh, so if I'm going to go to jail, no matter what, and this is going to carry the same charge, he's like, what's to stop me from getting behind the wheel next time? And uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, stupid question, obviously, you know, endangering the lives of other people. But in the same in the same regard in matters of the law, when it's just being drunk in public intox, I think it was a pretty fair statement. And the judge just was like, listen, bro, you have like 15 public intoxes in the last, you know, freaking five years, dude. And he straight up said, he's like, I'd rather walk than drive, you know, throw me in jail, man. And he was, he was 72 years old. So he really didn't give too many fucks, man, you know, (laughs) but, but, You know, something like that. Is there is there something that you personally think, you know, it's like, damn, man, I you're, you know, you come to a situation where, say, like, you know, there's a domestic dispute and some, you know, some guy kicked another guy's ass because he walked in on this dude sleeping with his wife or something like that. And it's like, I'm sorry, man, I got to arrest you. I don't want, you know, it's not fair, but, uh, you know, you so- know, something like that. <laughs> So we'll we'll clarify on that one here in Nevada uh, just a little bit. With it's not a domestic dispute for us, you know, if it's just two dudes beating each other up and this guy doesn't want to press charges. Okay. The victim, you know, if if the victim doesn't want to press charges, we don't have to make an arrest. Uh, on our domestic stuff, the law says we shall arrest if we can determine primary aggressor, and and that's the whole soup sandwich in itself, right there, man. Like that you got to read between the lines sometimes and, and hope that you're making the right decision, you know, because sometimes it's, it's literally 
comes down to he said, she said, it looks like mutual combat, but you you got to do something. So, And they're not very happy when you bring both of them in for mutual combat these days because then the court's like, well, now we've got to sort out more because you didn't do enough. And anyhow, so that, that can be that can be chaotic in itself. But uh, I, you know what I really hate arresting people for? Like, honestly, truthfully, freaking uh, the citizen's arrest for trespassing or the person that has a problem with the neighbor's dog. And they're like, I want to arrest them for disturbing my peace. And I'm like, okay, uh, you know, I, I try funny. to talk them out of it sometimes, but, you know, if, if they're adamant. They want that person arrested for disturbing their peace or trespassing on, you know, like the store owners here, somebody will come in and out 10, 15 times, maybe spend $2, but then they're, they're just basically loitering, right? Mm, yeah, and for sure. You go over there, you go over there, you tell the guy, hey, listen, I'm telling you now, if you come back, you're going to jail. And then they turn around and come back so they can go to jail. And you're like, <laughs> really? I just want to drop you off to Greyhound and buy you a one-way ticket. Like, I'm not going to put you in the system, man. Like, this this is stupid. But like, some of these people, they know how to play the system. And, like, around here, I mean, I mean, you know, you live in a very cold place, too. But, like, here, we're at 60, 100 feet of elevation, roughly. Um, oh, yeah. Some places lower, some places higher. But I'd say across the board, we're right around 6,100. And, uh, it's cold and it's high desert. So we have these wild winds and crazy snowstorms in the wintertime. And I, I kid you not, some of these homeless dudes will trespass just so they can get arrested and go to jail. Um, here's a good one. Uh, how do you relax when off duty? For example, are you still a police officer when you go to the grocery store, even if you're, you know, in civilian clothes and, you know, with your family or whatever? Well, uh, I will, I will say that with today's society and things being the way that they've been, I always carry my credentials and my off-duty weapon with me everywhere I go because I don't, I don't want to take that chance of, you know, running into this guy that's jaded about me arresting him, and then I, I have no way to defend myself when he pulls a, a pistol or something, you know what I mean, yeah. or a knife. Yeah. Like, I want to have that edge usually. You know, I hope that we can just talk it through and go on our separate ways and I don't yeah. have to call the agency and send another officer over there to have that person arrested or whatever. You know, I, I hope that they listen to reason and understand I'm just doing my job. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, like I said, I, I don't I don't leave the house and go out in public unless if I'm if I know I'm going somewhere where there's going to be other cops around then usually I'll be like, okay, I'm not going to carry my gun to my buddy's house because we're going to go over there. We're going to drink and smoke cigars and I don't need to carry my weapon while I'm having a drink, you know, Mm -hmm. but I'm going somewhere where I know the atmosphere is safe and controlled. So, you know, and if, and if shit were to pop off and just get absolutely crazy in their house at, well, they're a cop, they got guns too. So, (laughs) so you're all right. It's like, I'm just going to take cover, guys. Go ahead and take this one. <laughs> my hobby stuff, like, you know, uh, on my days off, those are my days off. Um, sometimes, you know, I'll talk with the wife about 
some stuff that's stressing me out at work to just kind of get her perspective and maybe see what she's how she's looking at it to help me with some stuff, you know, deal with those stressors. You, you got to have somebody to talk to. Yeah. Line yeah. of work, whether it's spouse or fellow officer or whatever. But, you know, I, I like to be home and maybe we go on a weekend trip or, you know, go to a, like, I, I'm really into the C10 trucks, you know. Yeah. Um, I have a, I have a 67 Chevy in the garage. God. Pick up that I, I love, love it, I love man. going out and working on that thing. You know, I, I like taking my kid out there in the summer when it's warm and just letting him run around and terrorize in the garage. Cause <laughs> you know, it's just, I like, I like to put work on the days that I work. That's work. And then on my days off, I'm home, do whatever with the family, you know, even if it's just sitting on the couch when it's freezing cold outside and, and watching something on Netflix or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah, for so, sure. Try not to carry it over. I try not to be like super, I got to work 24 seven, you know, cause some of these, some of these guys out there, they do that. And I, I I'm like, man, I, I don't know how you do it. Like you don't ever separate work from home and, you know, and my wife I, gets it. Like there's things I won't talk to her about and, you know, she'll ask and I'm like, nah, it's just, you know, it's one of those things. And she'll be like, okay, I, I understand, you know, that's awesome. And she'll though, just man. re she'll just reaffirm me that she's here if I need her, you know? Yeah, so, that's really good really, answer, I mean, man. I like that. Yeah, you know, being home and and hanging out with the family on my days off—that's that's what I that's what I live for, man. Week to week, like go to work. Hey, it's Friday. You know what? I'm looking forward to having that drink, sitting down with the wife tonight. You know, we'll put the kid to bed and then we'll just hang back and chill for a while. Like, you know, it gives you yeah. it gives you that something to look forward to. So. Hell yeah, man. Um, this is actually one of uh, my questions, but another listener asked the exact same thing. And I was always curious, uh, what's what are some of the big differences in um, the actual city or town police department versus the sheriff's department? And are you guys trained the same or differently? Uh, so easy, easy answer to that question. Um, my buddy that we had talked about, uh, who unfortunately mm-hmm. couldn't. Couldn't make it tonight. Some things came up, but uh, he is a city officer in the same area where I am a county deputy. He works for the city. I work for the county. Um, we actually went to the same training academy in Nevada. We have the POST, which is the Police Officers Standards and Training. So it's every agency from the state except for a couple. There's a handful that they do their own thing and they they've gotten the sign off from the state because they teach a stricter longer curriculum so they they've been able to get those sign offs from the state to do their own academies but uh for the the rest of us out here in the state we all go to to one standardized training facility so like when I was there I think there was nine different agencies um all in one and we all went through the exact same training from day one to the end Um, the game wardens and the park rangers and the the gaming control officers and the sheriff's deputies and the city police departments and you know yeah not a big deal like we we all do the same training and you know that and that's for your basic training 
so then once you get to your agency you you learn specifics on you know the way your agency does their reports and the way that your patrol procedures work and like we do stuff out on dirt roads and i'm talking like vast empty spaces you know 50 mm -hmm. miles between between our main office and our substation yeah All right. so you have that aspect of uh like he's in the city so they do a lot of urban-based training and we do a lot of rural-based training because we're a pretty rural agency okay you know? that's pretty cool um this one is from uh Lori and it says uh if you knew what you knew now would you still do it all over again would you decide to be a cop all over again or you know would you have tried to maybe gotten into a different field or anything like that ah <laughs> uh, well the common <laughs> joke is if if i knew what i knew now back then i would have went and been a firefighter but you know what hey, <laughs> um you know i i honestly no i wouldn't have changed anything up i maybe would have tried to, to to get on this path a little bit sooner Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I was in my late twenties when I started not as young, not as agile as I was, <laughs> um, you know, maybe, maybe have, I would have tried some college prep classes and working towards that, that basic degree in law enforcement as well, you know, instead of waiting so late and then getting started and then being like, uh, you know what, I'm going to try to get my college credits finished up and, uh, and get this degree to help further my career and my advancement with my department. I love it though. I mean, I, there's so much freedom in what I do. You know, I, I take my calls for service when they come, but I, I get to be an ambassador to the public. You know, I, I drive around, I go to the gas stations, I talk to the clerk, you know, I, even the, the knuckleheads that are out there doing wrong and being idiots, you know, I, I'll still get out of my truck and, I'll go say hi and, and chat with them, see how they're doing, make sure they're, you know. When you're standing in there in the gas station, this is something I've always wanted to ask because I, I go to a gas station every morning, get get me some coffee, you know, and there's always, that's right at the beginning of the, of the shift, the morning shift. So there's always two or three cops in there huddled around the, the cashier drinking coffee and shooting the shit. What is the one thing that you guys will look at you know, just a random customer that walks in and you're like, that dude's probably doing something illegal. <laughs> like, is there, mm. is there, and, and I hate to say not, not even stereotype wise, just something that pings you off. That's like, that dude's up to no good. Like something sketchy as shit with that guy. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely you. <laughs> There's not a better way to put it other than stereotyping. Like, you know, we're not supposed to stereotype. We're supposed to be unbiased. And But I'm sorry. When the person walks in and, and acts the same way and becomes shady and, and you know, they want to they wanna duck you behind the aisle and avoid eye contact and they're, they're just super shifty, you're like, okay, dude, I know you're doing something wrong. <laughs> I might not know what it is, but, you know, that's where that – reasonable suspicion because the the behaviors that are present exactly, you know develops yeah. my probable cause to go up and say hey here's your id what are you doing 
Where are you coming from? Where are you going? You know what I mean? It gives me a, a reason to want to talk to them instead of just getting my coffee and watching them walk out the door. Like, And you can tell. Guys that have been in the system and have been arrested multiple times in their life, they are the ones that will walk right up to you and be like, hey, officer, how you doing today? Yeah? Just getting started? Hey, let me buy a cup of coffee for you. You know? Yeah. And you're like, uh, no, you can't buy my coffee, but I'll, I'll shake your hand and, and say hi. And, you know? So, you yeah, know, for sure. They know, though. They know that those behaviors, you know, are, are established sketchy. that. Yep. Yeah. So then yeah. they, and I hate to say it, but they become good criminals because they learn how to control those behaviors and present them in a manner that makes you less suspicious. Like, uh, for example, we have a, a convicted felon that lives in the area, and it's possible that he's pushing some illegal narcotics, right? But mm-hmm. he doesn't present he doesn't present those sketchy behaviors. In fact, if for example I had a flat tire, he would probably be the one to stop. And say, hey, you need some help changing your tire because he's learned over a pattern of time that hey. If I just talk to the cops and present myself and be social, they don't necessarily look at me like I'm still doing criminal things. One of those things. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense, though. <laughs> totally does. does. Man. <laughs> um, is there, and here's another one. Uh, this one's from Maureen. What's a good, solid piece of advice or just something that, a superior or, or or a longtime veteran that might have retired, something that they have said that, you know, as advice to you or something of that nature that really stuck with you, that you have always kept in the back of your mind? Oh, you know, that's a good one. Got this sergeant, and I, I really consider him to be a great friend and, and a mentor. And uh, I even worked underneath his command for a while when I was in the jail. And, uh, you know, he would always tell me, doesn't matter what they're here for today when when they're coming in and their behaviors, because we still got to treat them like people. We got to, we got to show them a little bit of dignity and respect. Even when these guys are drunk out of their minds, spitting in your face and wanting to fight, you know, it's like, Hey, tomorrow you got to feed that guy breakfast. So whatever yeah. you say tonight, he's going to remember in the morning. So if you just back to that freedom like human beings. That's good. So, and, you know, and that, uh, yeah, I would say that that's pretty much like the one thing that's always kind of stuck out, you know, is that just showing them the respect even when they're not being respectful to you. You know, you do what you need to do, put them in their place, make them do what they have to do while they're incarcerated. But you still got to shake it off and come back later and be like, Hey man, you know, you want some food lunchtime? No. Okay. Well, if you change your mind, I'll leave a tray out here for you. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. That's cool, man. That's, that's actually really solid advice. That's good. And it goes back to what me and you were saying earlier, you know, we're all, we're all humans here and, don't get me wrong. I've been belligerently drunk, but I don't think I've ever, you know, when it comes time to where the cops come, it's like, okay, game's over. <laughs> it's all fun uh, and games until well, the cops show up. <laughs> uh, well, we 
what I worked when I worked in the jail, we've had a few that, uh, uh, this, well, you know, a city officer would uh, get in a fight with them on the street at a downtown bar, you know. So you got you got six city cops dogpile this dude, stuff him in a patrol car, and then they bring him down to the jail for booking. And then he gets out of the car and he wants to fight, but then he realizes, well, I'm still outnumbered at least eight to one here depending on how many city officers and how many deputies are working <laughs> the jail and how many how many came in with him when he got arrested. So they get out, they try to tussle, they get dogpiled, you know. <laughs> and then in the morning they're like, you're telling me I fought all 12 of you guys? Yep. You tried. You, you lost, tried. Yeah, <laughs> you tried really hard. Yeah. Usually they're like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, man, I was – I was pretty fucked up last night. I don't remember, you know. And you, and you, you get the ones that always they want to fight no matter what. But you get those ones that they come in there, and they're they're gone. They're just inebriated, and they'll be like, "Oh man, I'm sorry. I was being an ass last night." But you know, and you're like, "Ah, eh, it's okay, dude. Want some breakfast? Okay, there you go." You yep. Know? Hell yeah. And then uh, uh, one of the other things that stuck with me from one of the detectives. Um, during my field training is he told me that there's no sense in putting yourself in a dangerous situation when it could wait for another day hmm. you know like trying to yeah. go kick in that door and get that arrest single-handed when you could wait two or three days and get a plan and get some other people to help you and then go make that arrest you know what I mean like that just you ain't got to be the cowboy or the superhero, you know, you, yeah, you want to go home, you want to see your family. And that's, that's always kind of lingered there too, is I don't, you know, I'm, I've made some traffic stops out here by myself and troopers 25 minutes away. I get that uneasy, sketchy feeling, you know, when I go up to the car to talk to these people and I'm like, you know what, something's not right. Here's your license and registration. Slow down. Have a good day, and I walk away. Yeah, you know, we'll we'll get them again another day. They'll yeah, screw up true. somewhere else. You know, people listening that in or in this profession may may think that's chicken shit, but I'm just gonna flat out tell you when you're the only one and your closest backup's 25, 30 minutes out. Sometimes you just gotta cut your losses. You know. You got yeah. you got their license and registration when you made your stop. Yeah. So. Yeah, and the thing I don't, and a lot of people wouldn't realize too is is your general area, how rural it really is. I mean, backups twenty or twenty five minutes away, <laughs> there might not be another car driving by for half an hour. You know, you know, it, out yeah. there in the desert and shit, man. <laughs> Sometimes it's like that. Like I've I've been on a. Uh, this one traffic accident I was on, this 18-wheeler was blocking the travel lane. His, he had one of those fancy new trucks, and it it literally just shut off. And because it was a automatic transmission, they can't free float the gears because there's no electricity telling the transmission brain to go to neutral and let them coast down the hill, right? Like some of those trucks, they can throw their manual transmission into neutral and they can get the brakes to release and they can roll down the hill. This guy couldn't go nowhere. He's just flat stuck. So I'm sitting there 
and I let dispatch know, hey, this truck's broke down in the highway, it's blocking the travel lane, call DOT out here because we need flaggers for Department of Transportation, and then uh, notify tow trucks so we can get them off the road. Well, because we're in such a rural area, our heavy tow truck <laughs> 60 miles away on another accident along with the troopers you know and yeah. it's like okay well i'm the only one and i sit there and i i watch you know two o'clock in the morning there one truck yeah. three <laughs> trucks like man i sat out here for three and a half hours waiting on a tow truck and i've seen 10 cars in three and a half hours you know yeah yeah. It's crazy how desolate it is. Up here. I mean, from one town to the next, the closest town is 50 miles yeah. from one to the next. And then going back the other way, it's 60 something miles, 60 something miles north. And then uh, I think it's like 100 something miles to the south. There's another town, you know. So it is, it is very desolate. It's very rural, you know. And that's another part of why I chose to kind of stay here. I, I get to do my job. Everybody in this little town knows who I am. Yeah. I know who all the bad people are. But that crime rate is not as high as like downtown Vegas or San Francisco or Detroit or you know what I mean? So yeah, for sure. It, for me, it, it's a win-win situation. Yeah, I, I, I have that lack of support and backup sometimes, but I also have a lot less criminal activity and and those super deadly drive-by shootings and things like that like that that stuff never happens out here so all right now uh i got a couple questions for you and what is the like the funniest thing dude that you have ever seen like you know something that you a story that you always tell you know your friends or something and it's you know if they're if you got something that you can barely even tell without laughing just the most off the wall funny shit so uh there's this one call and i i personally was not on it i was still working in the jail but i i saw the the body cam footage later and the guy in the video actually was my FTO for a while during one of my one month phases there. Cause they, we, we break our four months up into four different phases. So you, you do four weeks with one and then you go to another officer and train under them. Okay. So he told me about it because we went to this, we went to this medical call and this EMT showed up and this EMT, he's a funny guy. I mean, he just, he make you laugh. It, it could be the most jacked up, nasty medical situation in the world and he's gonna say something funny and that the people that are going through this event might not realize what he says but because cops have a sick sense of humor of like you know we we get it so it's funny to us right so we go to this call and this this stuff happens and it's kind of funny but then my fto is like no 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 that's <laughs> the taste of how seriously funny this guy can be so we go back to the office and we, we pull up this video, and he's like, hey, we're going to watch this video for training purposes. And uh, so I sit down, start watching the video. we got a belligerent drunk guy. His sister's drunk. Then their drunk dude's mad that the sister's boyfriend's, you know, just big drama soup sandwich thing. And the deputies are there. They're trying to straighten it out. But the sister was so drunk, she fell and, like, 
bonked her head on something and, you know, was bleeding a little bit. So they called for an ambulance to come check her out, right? Because, you know, we, we're obligated to make sure that they don't really need medical treatment. So we call an ambulance, paramedics, <laughs> yeah. the EMTs, they do their evaluation and then they make their determination from there. So they show up and the ENT walks up and he's like, hey, he's like, did you know there was a goat sitting in that truck? And the deputy's like, yeah, I, I saw that when I pulled up. Well, it's the drunk guy's truck and there's this goat sitting in the driver's seat. And it's, it's hilarious. There's like a full-blown billy goat just sitting in the driver's seat, windows <laughs> half down, you know. And uh, the dude starts going on this rant about the boyfriend and the sister and how the boyfriend's stupid because he's got a beautiful sister and he shouldn't be cheating on her and this, that, and the other. And the, the EMT turns and looks at the deputy square in the eyes. And he's like, well, hell, that goat's the prettiest girl in town. <laughs> the, the the drunk brother jumps up and goes to swing at the deputies and he's so drunk he falls flat on his face and goes out <laughs> cold man just boom out cold and I was like that that is funny and it's the way he said it too I mean he's, he's from back east so he's got that like really deep Virginian accent and he's like that's the prettiest girl in town and he's talking about the goat so Dude, yeah, that is that's so one of those great. Stories. You, you could hear it a million times, and it's still funny. And <laughs> you know, if I could, if I could send you the video, that you you would get a kick out of it because that thing is just <laughs> so freaking. That's hilarious. the best part, man. Is that it's fucking on video. That is so great. Yeah, yeah, it is. A uh, couple other funny things. You know, they're not they're not as funny, but they're just like <laughs> stuff that personally happened to me. Um, uh, I got dispatched to this one section um, kind of down in the ranch areas for a deer with a Christmas bag on its head. And a Christmas bag. I'm like, I'm, yeah, like, you know, a gift bag for Christmas <laughs> yeah. presents. Like, uh-huh. And it's stuck. It's stuck on this little, this little deer's head. I mean, it's probably, it's probably a little, uh, let's see. I I would say it was a spike, you know, uh, yeah. just like two little prongs with little nubs coming out. Not quite a porky yet, but I forget I forget what the locals call them. They don't necessarily refer to them as spikes, but you know you, that difference in country. So you know, yeah, for sure. yeah, I get dispatched over there, and I'm like, well, dispatch, what do you want me to do about it? They're like, I don't know, try to catch it. I'm like, it's a deer. <laughs> I'm not trying to catch it, you know? That sounds like an in-doubt problem to me. Like, Department of Wildlife needs to deal with this. So, you know, my sergeant's like, well, uh, you're the trainee, so you're going to go chase him around for if he can get that bag off his head. (laughs) So, yeah, I I tromped around in the sagebrush for 15, 20 minutes trying to catch it, and uh, it was was futile. It wasn't happening. That's so great, dude. And, and of course – of course, my sergeant's standing out there with his body cam recording of the whole course. incident. So then of course. <laughs> there's, this, there's this funny video of me tromping around, you know, calling this thing over like a dog, like, here, dear, 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 come here. You know? <laughs> and, it, and it's like, no, no, I'm not falling for this. My, uh, my, uh, my, patrol, my patrol vehicle got uh, hit by a tow truck. That was kind of funny. Uh, how the hell did that happen? So we're, 
So, so we're, we're working this accident. Uh, and as a matter of fact, this, this just happened uh, Thursday night. So, oh, shit. So working this accident and got my truck blocking traffic. I'm working with NHP wagon because we, we've only got one lane open on the highway. So I'm, I'm working with them. Tow trucks come around and they pull up to the scene and it's like 100 yards uphill. They park their trucks, they get out. I turn, I look down to see how many cars I got waiting in line. And I turn around and look and I'm like, oh, tow truck's moving. He must be getting ready to pull something. So I tell the trooper, like, hey, tow truck's moving. We're just going to wait. And he radios back, yeah, copy that, you know. So then I turn and I look down the road again. Okay, I don't have any more cars coming. So I'm talking to the driver who's first in line sitting there waiting. And I turn back and look and I'm like, the tow truck's moving down the hill awfully slow. Oh, it ain't got no reverse lights on either. <laughs> so I start watching the tow truck. And I'm like, tow truck's not stopping. It's coming right to my vehicle. Right? So I start like waving my flashlight and yelling, <laughs> trying to get the driver's attention. And it rolls back and smacks the, the push bumpers on my patrol car and pushes my car sideways a little bit and comes to, you know, a dead stop. And I'm like, I run up to the door and I look inside. There's nobody in the tow truck. Yeah, parking brake cut <laughs> loose and it rolled down the hill. And I'm like, well, <laughs> shit. Can't be mad at anybody so, for that one. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that, that was fun, man, to tell my supervisor and all that stuff. But it's not a big deal. It's a, it's a cheap fix. And tow truck companies got great insurance and they, they do a lot of work for us. So uh, I'm sure it's not going to be a big deal at all. Yeah, I'm sure. All right. And this is, this is one question I've been dying, dying to ask you. I love ask, asking cops this, this question. Um, I don't know how I, obviously I know your belief system and, uh, and your wife's belief system and everything. Um, how have you had anything happen to you that is absolutely unexplainable? Uh, maybe paranormal, supernatural, you know, just something that you still to this day cannot explain that just creeps you out. Um, yes. All right. <laughs> so this one night I was working in the jail and uh, I always heard the people talk all these, this crap about there's ghosts in the building and this, that, and the other. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I don't, I don't believe in ghosts, you know. Macho yeah. personality. And uh, so I'm sitting in the control room one night and I'm watching the surveillance cameras and I'm watching the inmates in their day room areas, hanging out and watching TV. And then, you know, we go to lockdown. Everybody goes to their cells and goes to bed. The deputies that were working the floor, they go out and they do their head counts, make sure we've got the right number of people we're supposed to have and everybody's alive and breathing. And then, you know, we shut down all the lights. Then it's very dark and our control room sits in like an octagon and then we have all of our different wings of cells you know and you can see from the windows you can see into each hallway of every unit that we have and so i'm sitting there and i'm watching the cameras and i'm doing stuff on the computer and i look up and i'm like that looks like somebody walking in the middle of the day room right so 
call one of the floor deputies. I'm like, hey, can you go check the B-wing? Because it looks like there's somebody out in the day room. So I start looking at the control system, make sure all the doors are locked, everything's the way it's supposed to be. Look back up, there's nobody in the cameras again. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. So the deputy goes in, they walk the hall, they come back out, they're like, dude, everybody's where they're supposed to be, head counts right, like, I don't know what you're seeing. I'm like, I'm telling you, there was somebody in there in the day room. And they're like, yeah, it's the ghost. And I'm like, no, bullshit. I don't believe in ghosts. <laughs> so like a half hour, hour goes by, and then sure enough, that same like shadowy looking person is walking around the outside of the control room this time. And I see like the shadow on the window, but when I look in the cameras, I don't see anything. You know, and then you get like that kind of creepy, cold, wiggly, yeah. goosebumps. You know, your heart starts to race a little bit, and you're like, man, something's just creepy. So, again, I called the floor deputy, and I'm like, hey, can you do a perimeter check real quick? Because uh, I'm pretty sure there's somebody in the hallway. So they go out. They do the checks. Nothing nowhere to be seen. No remnants of nobody. So the sergeant's like, well, let's just go do a head count just to make sure that we're not missing anybody. So they go through. We do a head count, and... You know, thankfully we're a small agency, so it's not a big deal. Like we, we can we can count fairly quickly the number of people we have. So they go through, they do the counts, everything's fine, everybody's in their beds, and sergeant comes in there. He's like, "I told you that dude that hung himself <laughs> like 50 years ago is still in this building." And I'm like, "No, nope, not gonna, nope, nope, not gonna believe it." You just refuse to believe it, don't you? <laughs> yeah, man. Well. <laughs> I wouldn't say that's the first time that paranormals happened to me, but that's definitely the first time in this career that it was that prominent, so to speak. Yeah, for sure, I, man. What did your I wife think about it when you told her? Oh, man, she she just was like, well, you know, pray about it and rebuke that spirit. And depending on which side of Christianity you land on, they're there really are evil spirits that can take the form of a person. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And haunt you, you know. And, yeah. But. Well, what's another instance? Ghosts? I don't believe in ghosts, though. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> well, what's another was, instance? There was, this, yeah. uh, there was this one time I was still living kind of wild and swayed from uh, from my religious standings. And uh, I literally just started at the prison in Ely. And I was staying at a friend's house, and I'm out there sleeping on the couch. And this, like, old prospector-looking, you know, gold rush miner-looking dude walks from the bedroom to the kitchen and just disappears. And I just pulled the blanket over my head and was like, nope, <laughs> nope, I'm too drunk for this shit. <laughs> Not even dealing with this tonight. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, it, yeah. Do, do you ever see, like, any weird shit out there in the desert, man? You know, like any, you know, like strange lights or anything? It's just like, I wonder what in the hell that actually is, you know? Uh, so, yeah, there's some strange things that happen. You know, weird shadows, Sasquatch-looking things. It's the high desert. Yeah. <laughs> Moonlight reflects off the sand and the gravel and... Weird things are unexplainable. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. And you got to be logical the, at the, the same time, you know? Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, 
there was this. Uh, it took me. A, it took me a while to figure out what it was. But there was this owl that was. I mean, we're talking like one of those big freaking eight foot wingspan owls, which is really nice. weird that they're even up here. But yeah, um, we have we have tons of bald eagles and golden eagles and red-tailed hawks out here. So it's kind of like a kind of like a birds of prey paradise, so to speak. So there's this there's this big owl, and I I was working night shift for a little while out here on the road, and um, I kept hearing these weird noises. Like I would I would go park in my spot to watch traffic, and I rolled my window down so I could hear the traffic coming before I can see them. And because uh, everything echoes out in the in the desert, man, it, it mm-hmm. these canyon rocks and stuff that surround us because we're kind of in a valley. And it just everything just echoes, and you can—I mean, you can hear stuff like coyotes miles away. You know, you can hear a tractor trailer coming down the road miles before you see it. You know, so I'm sitting there, got the window down, getting a little cool summer air, and I keep hearing these weird noises, and they sound like nails on the chalkboard, kind of like scratching at something. Oh man! And I—I'm like, man, what the shit is that? Like. Like, makes you want to pull your service pistol out of your duty belt and you're kind of <laughs> holding your lap. Like, what, what's the shit about to happen? Right? So, I mean, this went on for weeks in the summertime. And I I would hear it over there, and it would be, like, clear as day. And then I'd go park in my other spot, and I'd hear it, but it, yeah, it's not as, you know, loud. Can't really make it out the same, but you're like, eh, you know, something ain't right here. Well, what it was, was it was one of these, owl one of these big ones and he was trying to roost in the bridge over the railroad tracks we have here yeah like the highway goes over the railroad tracks you know and there's there's those big concrete columns and all that stuff and he's up there digging the concrete out at night and where i was parking was only like 100 yards away with my window facing where his echo was coming from okay and so that's that creepy nails on the chalkboard sound was him clawing at the concrete trying to burrow into this thing. Oh God. So yeah. And I, I, it was weeks before I figured out what it was. And I'm like, like once I figured it out, I'm like, Oh, okay. That's explainable. But before it was like, what the shit, man? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Maybe I need to lock my doors. (laughs) Oh, that is great, man. All right. Well, I think I uh, I fielded all the questions from from the very last minute social media post that I made, and um, I just like to thank you for what you do, man. I don't think people appreciate it. I think there's a mindset in uh, in this country right now that is fucking disgusting, and uh, judging all people of law enforcement by the actions of you know a couple bad few, no certain demographic or profession would appreciate that being done to them. But yet a lot of people are very quick to do that to you guys. So I just want you to know, man, on behalf of me and my listeners, dude, I, we appreciate the shit out of what you guys do. And you know, all those, all those haters out there, remember, you know, somebody's coming at you with a gun or in your house with a gun, who the fuck are you going to call? You're going to call the cops. So quit being assholes. Try to have a better understanding of the law in general. And, um, yeah, man, I just appreciate you guys put your put your life on the line, dude. Every every day you put on that uniform, and I just want you to know, man, that that there's a there's a silent majority 
out here that do appreciate what you guys do every day. So I just want you to know that. Well, Justin, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, to all all the listeners out there that are super supportive, you know, Blue Line supporters, I just want to say thank you. I don't know who you are or where you're from, but, you know, when you guys do drop a line or, you know, you buy us that lunch at the diner without saying anything about it, like those things are greatly appreciated. And it lets us know that, that we still got some people out there that believe in what we're doing. So yeah, for sure. Know, thank you for uh, taking the time to have me on the podcast. I, I appreciate the opportunity oh, no problem, to kind of get it out there from my perspective. Um, is, there, is there a final statement or anything that you want to say to everybody? Uh, yeah, you know, one thing I would definitely like to reiterate um, is that your attitude on a traffic stop or that investigation when cops show up at your house, your attitude can greatly dictate how things go, you know, and that, that cop could have just came from the worst, shittiest situation in the world. to now he's got to deal with you and your sister not getting along and yelling and screaming at each other. And you know what I mean? So Slow down, listen to what they're trying to say. Um, you know, if you feel like they're in the wrong, you, you can always have your day in court later. You can always go down to your department, your local agency, and you can file a formal complaint if you felt like things were dealt with wrongly. But arguing and fighting with whoever's on scene at that time is not going to help it. You know, so, you know, slow down, take a step back. If, you know, if the officer's telling you to do something you don't think it's right, just go with it you know, and then go about it the, the legal way and get your day in court or get heard from their sheriff or chief or whatever. Because I'll tell you right now, our agency, when someone files a complaint, it's, it goes straight to the sheriff and it gets looked into, you know, fighting with, with whoever's on scene at the time or arguing with that cop during the traffic stop, like that's just, that's, that's just going to make matters worse before they get better. So. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's, even if you know they're wrong and you're and you're in the right, just take a step back, hold your tongue, let them do what they got to do and go about <laughs> their business. And then and then you can go down and, and file your complaint or, or take it to the court for your justification of their wrong. You know what I mean? So, yeah, for sure. Definitely that. Um, I just want to say that I'm really excited about your Westerns podcast. I'm a, I'm a huge. Oh, yeah. Huge Thanks, fan. Man. I. I I cannot That's wait what your wife debut. said too. She's like, he's he's waiting, he's waiting. I'm like, I'm trying to hurry. I was like, we had a couple setbacks, and I just made the announcement last uh, night yeah. that that we'll be doing it here soon. And the the ones you've done so far, like White Earp and Doc Holiday and and Tombstone, like man, those are just freaking awesome. You know, Thanks, I, I've had the pleasure of going down to Yuma and Tombstone and checking all those historic sites out. So. I'm really looking forward to it, and uh, I wish you the best of luck. And maybe we can uh, do this again sometime. And yes, sir. Maybe yeah. next time I'll have uh, I'll, I'll get you a little better variety of people. Um, <laughs> Dude, I'm totally and I, more experienced. <laughs> and, hey, any anything's cool with me. I I just love uh, you know picking your guys' brains and just hearing stories, man. You know, I 
I just, I enjoy it a lot. So like I told you, you know, when we were texting back and forth, I was like, you're like, well, I'm flying solo. And I'm like, that's dope. I was like, dude, this is still going to be awesome, man. I'm not even worried about it. You know? Well, I, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you. Uh, you lending me the time to, to yeah. do this with you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate then, you coming uh, on, man. Maybe yeah, in, a, in the near future, we can do some, uh, some co-hosting on some, uh, Anytime you want around here. Anytime you want, dude. When as soon as you're ready, you just let me know and we'll we'll get it we'll get it set, dude, because I I love that that kind of stuff. I'm o I don't know why, dude. It's just the thrill of the hunt. Trying to put yeah. that piece of the puzzle in there and, and I hate saying, you know, dehumanizing a victim and saying it's the thrill of the hunt, but in all honesty, that's kind of for me, that's kind of what it is, you know. It's the truth. I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's the same thing for me. It's yeah. that, that thrill of the hunt of putting that criminal behind bars and yep. having to do that legwork to track them down and, and catch them, you know? Yeah, so. yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. And um, again, you know, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you coming on, dude. Yeah, thank you, Justin. It's been awesome. Right. It's been a pleasure. And uh, hopefully we can do this again soon. Yeah, yeah, anytime, man. I'm always down. All right, brother. All right. All right, I'll talk to you later. All right, we'll see you. <laughs> yep, bye.